want to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 34. Jeremiah 34. Continuing in our series in the book of Jeremiah. One of the qualities of this age is uh, what we call a lack of commitment. People don't want to make commitments. Or if they do make commitments, they're easy, easily broken. That's seen with a lot of young people uh, today. A lot of people don't want to get married. They don't want to make a commitment. <laughs> they want to see, well, maybe if something better comes along. So we see that. Uh, sometimes trying to get some young people to come to an event is often difficult because they don't want to make a commitment because some other party might come along that would be more fun. Commitment. But I'm not just going to pick, I'm just not picking on the older folks. Sometimes when we have an event here at the church where we have to know how to set up the building, uh, maybe uh, purchase some food if there's some food to be needed, uh, maybe to have uh, child care people available for child care, it's sometimes it's like pulling teeth to make the folks make a commitment. And uh, and so what happens is, see, those kind of events, they just can't happen spontaneously at the moment when it's happening. You have to kind of plan, and so you look for people to make commitments. And so oftentimes what happens is uh, people who did sign up to make a commitment don't show up, and others who didn't sign up show up with the whole family. Wee! <laughs> now, I'm probably using this time to... To, you know, not ragging on you, but I just. <laughs> but it's an apropos application, amen. Um, but this morning, the passage deals with people during Jeremiah's time who uh, made a commitment at one time, and then when circumstances changed, they pulled away from the covenant and the commitment they made. Why do we do that? Why did they do that? Well, I'm hoping with this passage and also some peripheral scriptures that we can kind of understand what happened to them and understand then what happens to us and maybe we can be helped by this passage. So we'll read the portions of scripture in small sections, explain and then we'll make some application. Jeremiah 34, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, with all the kingdoms of the earth that were under his dominion, and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and against its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. So you will not escape from his hand, For you will surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You will see the king of Babylon eye to eye, and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you will not die by the sword. You will die in peace, and as spices were burned for your fathers, 
the former kings who were before you, so they will burn spices for you. And they will lament for you, Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah and Jerusalem. When the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the remaining cities of Judah, that is Lachish and Achaziah, for they alone remained as fortified cities among the cities of Judah. Verses 1 through 7, Jeremiah speaks the word to King Hezekiah. Now we know that the siege of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians against Jerusalem lasted about 18 months, about 18 months, about a year and a half. We're not quite sure when uh, this particular prophecy was uttered to Zedekiah. I have a feeling it was not towards the end, but a little bit earlier than what we had looked at uh, last week. Material we're very familiar with. Uh, we've seen this prophecy repeated several times. New information is that Zedekiah will not die. He will not die but he will be captured and taken to Babylon. Okay, let's look at our second section beginning in verse 8. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them, that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, so that no one should keep them, a Jew his brother, in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed who had entered into the covenant that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant so that no one should keep them any longer in bondage. They obeyed and set them free. Verse 11. But afterward they turned around and took back the male servants and the female servants whom they had set free and brought them into subjection for male servants and for female servants. Then, verse 12, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you shall set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to you and has served you for six years. You shall send him out free from you. But your forefathers did not obey me nor did they incline their ear to me. Although recently you had turned and done what is right in my sight, each man proclaiming release to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name, yet you turned and profaned my name, and each man took back his male servant, and each man took his female servant, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection, to be your male servants and female servants. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence and famine, and I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they had made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the court officials and the priests and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into 
the hand of those who seek their life and their bodies will be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. Here we see Jeremiah speaks a word, the word concerning the covenant. Now, sometime after this prophecy was made to Zedekiah by Jeremiah, Zedekiah, the king, makes a covenant. And the covenant was they were going to set free all the female and male slaves. And the people agreed to it. They said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Now, remember, it was during the time that Babylon was at the city gates. Okay, that's going on. So they decide, well, let's, let's do this thing. And notice it says they made a covenant and they, they confirmed it with a sign in the temple. Now notice what the sign was. They cut a calf in two and they passed between its parts. You're thinking, what is that about? Well, that was a practice, a way of confirming a covenant that you had made. Now you remember, you go all the way back to Genesis 15. Do you remember that? When God made a covenant with Abraham. And what did he do? He cut several animals, and not Abraham walked between it, but Abraham walked, uh, God walked between those those cut animals. And what it meant was, if I don't keep my agreement, may I be like these animals. That's what they were saying. Okay, so they made this covenant. They agreed to it, and then they gave the covenant sign. Now, if you see the passage, you'll notice that it's not some special deal that they kind of thought up, but it was something that they were commanded to do in the law. Every seventh year, they were supposed to what? Free all the Hebrew women, all the Hebrew men, and let them go. They had sold them into slavery, and now they want to let them go. It was not some special deal. But they hadn't done it. They hadn't been doing it. Notice what he says. They didn't obey me. Verse 14. Yet, this act that they did in setting free the slaves was very pleasing to the Lord and it was, was right in his eyes. Yet after a short period of time, they turned against the covenant. They went against their commitment. What happened? Why did they do this? Let's find out. Let's tell the rest of the story. Look at verses 21 and 22. Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of the enemies of the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, notice carefully, which has gone away from you. Behold, I am going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it, and take it, and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation with, without inhabitant. Here Jeremiah speaks to the word concerning their circumstances. Their circumstances had changed. Now, secular and biblical history tell us that during this time, Israel or Judah had a special relationship with Egypt to the south of them. Now, what we see, many people feel, that the reason Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem at this time was because God had sent him, but also that Zedekiah had gone against Nebuchadnezzar and made a secret treaty with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And that brings Nebuchadnezzar up against the city. Now, secular and biblical history tell us that sometime during this 18-month siege, Egypt sent an army out 
from their borders to push back the Babylonian army, which was encroaching on their northern border. And when that happened, Nebuchadnezzar, needing the troops that had surrounded Jerusalem, pulled the troops back from Jerusalem to come and fight against the king, the the pharaoh of Egypt, who had sent an army. However, Nebuchadnezzar defeated the Egyptian army, and he resent troops back and surrounded, and eventually did capture uh, the city of Jerusalem. What we see here is during the time when there's difficulties and things look really bad, they decided, well, let's, let's maybe do something good for the Lord. And so Zedekiah made this covenant. They all want to agree with it. Then when the troops were withdrawn, they thought, well, our ship has come in and it's flying an Egyptian flag. <laughs> and uh, let's, things are getting back to normal and we need to repair all our houses and fix things up. So what did they do? They went against their covenant and re-enslaved the people they had set free. Now, how, uh, what's going on here? There are some spiritual issues that we see going on in this little scenario. And I want to talk to you about what was going on with them and oftentimes what goes on with us. Let's take a look. Some spiritual issues that are found in these 22 verses. First thing. Sometimes we lean on our own understanding. Sometimes our commitments, we go against our commitments because we're doing what? We're leaning on our own understanding. Now, we see this clearly in our passage. They release the slaves during difficult times because it was the right thing to do. Hopefully, maybe even the Lord would grant them some favor. But then, when times seemed to get good, when the, the Babylonians had withdrawn and they thought, well, maybe, maybe the Egyptian army will defeat the Babylonians and everything's back to normal. <laughs> and meaning back to normal was let's regather our slaves and have them repair our houses and because we're everything's fine and we don't need to do that. Completely disregarding the word of the Lord that has been spoken to them many, many times of what was going to happen. They leaned on their own understanding as a part to what the word, of the, God, or the word of the Lord came. Now, let's look at some passages that speak to us in this context. Pro, here's the classic one is what? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Sometimes we lean on our own understandings, not paying attention to what the word of God is saying to us. And oftentimes when we do that, We waffle in our commitments. In Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist tells the people of Israel not to uh, envy or become discouraged at the prosperity of the wicked. You remember that psalm? Because you know what happens is you're watching your friends, they're ungodly, they're just doing whatever they want, and they seem to be doing, matter of fact, they're prospering and they're having a wonderful time. And you begin to think, I don't know, I don't know. 
Is it a good thing to serve the Lord? Well, maybe, you know, they're getting away. Well, maybe I'll just... No, 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 no. Later on in the psalm, it, says, it tells... I'll, God says, I'll take care of the evil and wicked people. Don't you worry about them. You be faithful in your commitments. Don't lean on your own understanding. So sometimes when we lean on our own understanding, we don't make keep the covenant and the agreements that we should. The classic one is found, of course, in Matthew 16. Do you remember the story? Jesus is telling his apostles, you know, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to take advantage of the people. They're going to arrest me and they're going to kill me. And what does Peter do? Peter says, no, wait a minute, wait. Lord, that ain't going to happen. In no way that's going to happen, Lord. Now, you've got to understand Peter, amen? I mean, he was leaning on his own understanding. It was his friend. He loved Jesus. He didn't want to see him beat up. He didn't want to see him killed, right? I mean, come on. What's that about, Lord? You see, he's understanding. But Jesus turns and says, there's a classic one. He says, get behind me, Satan. Wow. And then Jesus explained why he said that. He said that because his interests were on man's interests rather than God's interests. See, he was leaning on his own understanding. He didn't want his good friend Jesus to die. It seemed like the wrong thing. However, we learn later that the death and resurrection of Jesus brought a tremendous blessing. A blessing on Peter, the apostles, because they had their sins forgiven and countless billions from that date have found faith in Christ. But see, Peter, what was he doing? He was leaning on his own understanding. Completely disregarding the word of the Lord which meant to bring out blessing on the people of God. So sometimes leaning on our own understanding will cause us to turn from our commitments that we have made. Okay. Second spiritual issue that we find in this incident. Sometimes we give in to the power of the flesh. Sometimes we give in to the power of the flesh. Now, the folks in Jerusalem thought that the army of Egypt would defeat the Babylonians. Hey, like I said, their ship had come in and it was flying an Egyptian flag and it was going to be, everything was going to be super and great. What were they doing? They were leaning on the power of the flesh. And they were completely out of touch with what the word of God had been saying to them for years. Now, giving into the power of the flesh has two expressions. Two expressions. We see the first one in their actions. Let's consider a few passages. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 9, we even sang a song about this. Jeremiah 9.23 this morning. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let, the might, let not the mighty man boast in his might, Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, and the one who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. Don't lean on the arm of flesh. Don't lean on your wisdom, or your might, or your riches, but lean on the Lord. Now, in Isaiah 36, 
There's a story about Hezekiah, who was a king several years before this. And what had happened is the Assyrian army, rather than the Babylonian army, the Assyrian army had come down and had surrounded Jerusalem. Do you remember the story? And the king sent a messenger, the king of Assyria sent a messenger to Hezekiah, who was the king then. And he said, hey, God, listen, we've defeated all the nations around you. So uh, don't you think that Egypt is going to save you? Same scenario, same scenario. He says, and this messenger, this pagan messenger, said some real wise words to King Hezekiah at that time. He says, if you lean on Egypt, if you put your trust in Egypt, it's like, remember what he said? It's like leaning on a broken reed. And when you lean on a broken reed, what does it do? It pierces your hand. It says, don't lean on Egypt because they're not going to come through for you. That was a word from God. It's like leaning on a broken reed. It'll pierce your hand. Now, if you remember the story, what happened? Egypt didn't deliver Jerusalem from the hand of the Assyrians. What happened? The angel of the Lord in one night wiped out the Assyrian army and they went back to their capital with their tail between their legs and eventually were defeated by the Babylonians. Sometimes we give in to the power of the flesh. In John chapter 2, verse 24, just at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's doing some wonderful miracles and everybody is praising the name of the... They're all believing in Jesus. And then it says... This is, this is a good one. It says, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. What? Because he knew what was in man. Oh, he knew that we're but dirt. <laughs> he knew that the praises of man were nothing to lean on. It's like leaning on a reed. It'll pierce your hand. He knew that the praises of those men would be is superficial. And he did not commit himself to those people. The classic passage, of course, in the, old, in the Hebrew Scriptures is Zechariah 4.6. Zechariah 4.6. It says, not by might, remember, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Looking to someone or something other than the Lord, <laughs> leaning on the power of the flesh, Giving into the power of the flesh will cause us to turn from our commitments. Now, there's one other expression that giving into the power of the flesh uh, is found. That's found in Romans chapter 7. Do you remember the passage? Paul says, You know, <laughs> many of us can connect to this passage. Oftentimes, I find myself doing, I, I want to do what's right, but I find myself doing what? The exact opposite. And then, the things that I know, I'm, I'm, I, I know that are wrong, I find myself doing that very thing. Do you remember the passage? And he says, and he says you know, and it's not me, meaning his, his spirit, his immaterial nature that loves Jesus, but it's the sin that dwells in my flesh. And see, when you give in to the power of the flesh... And all that that entails, it often turns to the place 
will turn away from the commitments that we've made. Whether it's a commitment to the Lord, the church, our business, or even our families. Sometimes we give into the power of the flesh and that pulls us away from the, the commitments that we've made. We see that here. Thirdly, sometimes we have shallow commitments. This is the last one. Now, if you know anything about the people of Jeremiah's time, they were not deeply committed to the Lord. (laughs) The reason the Babylonians were at the city gates was why? The Lord had sent them because they had departed from worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping all the pagan gods of the neighbors of the countries around them. Oh, they were Jewish and they probably kept the Passover and several other feasts. They came to the temple a couple of times a year. It was three times they, were, you know, they showed up. But their commitment was rather shallow. Um, they oftentimes looked at the temple as kind of like, well, this will save us from our enemies because the temple of the Lord is in Jerusalem. Kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot. You know, rub the foot, rabbit's foot. I hope, I hope, I hope that things will work out. But their commitment to the Lord and the things of the Lord was very shallow. And so when uh, things began to look good and the Babylonian army had withdrawn from the city, they think, hey, let's get back to our old ways. And that's exactly what we see them do. Completely disregarding what the Lord of the Lord had already told them what was going to happen. Hmm. Some parallel passages. Proverbs 4.6. Oh, you ought to underline this one. This is a great verse. Proverbs 4.6. Let me read it. Probably also, maybe even make it a memory verse. Proverbs 4.6. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Oh, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. What a passage. Watch over your heart. Which over your, where's your heart? I mean, these people in Jerusalem at that time, oh, they looked good. They were in temple. They made the, did the right things. But where was their heart? Their heart was far from the Lord. Their commitment to the Lord was very shallow. The surface only. It really hadn't touched their heart. Hadn't touched their heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says an interesting thing to the Corinthian church. Now, you have to understand what's going on in, this, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a very difficult letter because it's a letter written by Paul to a group of people who were rejecting him as worthy of following. Now, he had pioneered the church But some super apostles, some very charismatic um, people had come along and kind of lured the people away from the commitment that they had made to Paul and the gospel that he was preaching. And so if you read 2 Corinthians, it's full of tears and full of, uh, it really speaks of his heart towards his people as they draw away from him. 
And he says, examine yourself, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Oh, boy, he puts it right down. He puts the fat on the fire. He says, test yourself. See where your heart's at. Examine your heart. Are you in the faith? Because you're acting like you're not. If you follow these silly super apostles who have come and deceived you. He tells the people to examine. Look at your heart. Examine. Take a look at your heart. You might look good on the outside, but where's your heart with the Lord? In Acts chapter 15, in your bulletin, Paul and Barnabas get to fighting. They're fighting with each other. And they're fighting over a guy called John Mark. Barnabas wants to take uh, John Mark on the second missionary journey. You remember the story. Uh, but Paul doesn't want any part with him. He says, listen, uh, I don't want to take this character. Because in the middle of our first trip, he deserted. That's the word Paul uses, deserted. Which has what? A negative connotation. Which means probably what happened, although we don't know. But from that word, we'll deduce that when things got a little rough, <laughs> little John Mark, who was younger, um, he couldn't take it and he just deserted them and went back home. Went back home to Mama, where the food was good and the beds were warm. Um, his commitment to world missions was slightly shallow. Now, let's not to be too hard on John Mark. Because later on, the Bible says that Paul said he's worthy. So he'd grown up. He was a young boy. And what I see in John Mark, I see in John Mark a, a guy who really didn't really understand what he was buying into. In other words, he cut too big a piece of pie. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and maybe even God hadn't even called him to go with them. Maybe he just got excited. Oh, yeah, this would be neat. be fun. We'll be staying at... Class A hotels and everything would be wonderful. He gets excited. But then when the reality came, we found out his commitment was rather shallow. Now, the reason I say that is just because there's a need doesn't mean you should do it. Just because there's a need doesn't mean you should go. Now you're saying, well, where do you get that deal? Well, on that trip, When Paul and Barnabas separate, Paul and Silas go on the trip and they're traveling through what was now Turkey. And they tried to go north, where there was a lot of unsaved people up in the northern part of what we call Turkey or Asia Minor back then. And the Spirit said what? Don't go there. No, I don't want you to go there. So what did they do? They turned south. They wanted to go south, down by Ephesus, where there was a lot of unsaved people. And what did the Spirit say? No, don't go there. And then Paul had the dream. And what happened? Go west. I want you to go to Macedonia. Ah, so sometimes, sometimes, the Spirit doesn't want you to go. And you need to listen to the Spirit. And I think John Mark bit off a little bit more than he could chew. Or maybe even the Lord didn't even want him to go on that trip. The scripture that comes to mind is in Romans 8.14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. Ah, there's the characteristic. So just because there's a need doesn't necessarily mean you should go. So that was what we were seeing with John. I don't don't think John Mark was was meant to go on that trip. 
was a young boy. He really wasn't called. And so his commitment was rather shallow, as opposed to Paul and Silas, who would, they were committed to that trip. In Galatians chapter 2, we have another Peter story. You remember the story? Peter had traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, which was in the church in Antioch, was basically made up of Greeks. And so when he visited, uh, Paul and uh, the folks were up there. And Peter was eating with all the non-Jewish people. And they were, he was having the baby back ribs and had really enjoying all the wonderful food that those uh, non-Jewish people <laughs> were eating. But then what happened? Some folks, some believers came up from Jerusalem who were believers in Christ, but they were what? Jewish. And they were keeping a kosher table. And so what did Paul, what did Peter do? He kind of, uh, I don't want to, and he distanced himself from the Gentiles believers who he had been eating with for weeks and went and sat only with the Jewish. And Paul had to rebuke him because he even, he even uh, called Barnabas to kind of go along with this hypocrisy. And so I would have to say, in light of Peter's actions at Antioch, I guess um, that vision that he had at Joppa hadn't really deepened in his heart. He wasn't really fully committed yet. Because when the possibility of persecution came, what happened? He backed off from his commitment to fellowship with those Gentile believers. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we have the story of our dear friend Demas. You remember Demas? Now, Demas loved the Lord <laughs> slightly, uh, but the Bible says, he's, Paul writes, Demas has forsaken me because he loves this present world. Mm. Sometimes we have shallow commitments. So we see from that, having shallow commitments will cause us to waver in changing circumstances. When circumstances change, if our commitment isn't deep, we have a tendency to waver. Now, you remember the parable that's found in Matthew 13? Do you remember that story? Sower went out to seed and sowed some seed by the road. Then he sowed some seed where? Among the rocky soil. And it said the seed grew, but the roots roots did not go down deep because it was rocky, so it only could go in a little bit. And their commitment was shallow. (laughs) And when persecution or hard times came, what happened to the plant? Died. It died. And so their shallow commitment caused them to waver in difficult times. Okay. Let's kind of pull it, wrap it all together here. Now, some of us, uh, at the beginning of the new year, uh, we make uh, what we call what? New Year's resolutions. Everybody's always, they always make fun of New Year's resolutions. I don't make fun of New Year's resolutions because I make New Year's resolutions. Have you made a New Year's resolution? What's, now you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's, what's this about New Year's Resolution? Wait a minute, think about it. Sometimes as you look over the past year, you see, you know, uh, you know my commitment to um, 
Reading God's word has slipped a little bit this past year. Have you seen that? Or maybe my commitment in being in church and maybe uh, my commitments uh, to serving in Sunday school, perhaps, or helping in the nursery. Well, I've really, I've really backed away from that commitment. And so what do you do? At the first of the new year, you kind of reevaluate. You look back and you say, you know, my, my commitment to those things has not been good. And so you make a New Year's resolution. You make a new commitment. You make a new covenant. Now, the reason I don't make fun of those things, because the Bible calls that repentance. <laughs> it's called repentance. It's called reevaluating. And oftentimes, repentance brings what? Revival. It brings revival to you, and it brings revival to the church. Now, I was thinking about um, this whole thing about commitments. You know, I was thinking in terms of the football games this afternoon. (laughs) Now, the Giants are playing the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I I go way back with the Giants, way back. I lived in New Jersey. Matter of fact, where their football field is, the Meadowlands, when I wanted to get away from Mama's prying eyes, me and my brother and several of our buddies would take our bikes and we'd ride down to the Meadowlands. You know why they call it the Meadowlands? It's a big swamp. And it was a place where you, as a young boy, a preteen boy, could take his bike and do anything you wanted. Light things on fire, burn down, you know, all kinds of stuff. Because nobody cared. It was just a big swamp. So I go way back with the Giants in the Meadowlands. It's my home. Y.A. Tittle, Frank Gifford, all the way back a long time ago. But yet, 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 wait a minute, San Francisco 49ers, Joe Montana, yes. So I'm kind of torn in my commitments. Let me ask you a question this year. Have you done? Do you sometimes find yourself Leaning on your own understanding? Don't look for a show. I'm not looking for a show of hands. Just sometimes find yourself leaning on your own understanding. I'll just leave that between you and the Lord. How about this? Just sometimes give in to the power of the flesh. Thinking that this is, this is going to save me or that's going to save me. Or maybe the, the sin that dwells inside your flesh, you give into it and it pulled you away from a commitment that you had made. Or sometimes, has your commitment been so shallow that it caused you to waver when circumstances change? Have you done? Have you done? As we look at this new year, as we begin this new year, may Jeremiah's words pierce our heart. Pierce our heart. So that we would listen carefully, carefully, to what the Spirit is saying to his church from the scriptures this morning. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for 
your faithfulness. Even when we've been faithless, you've been faithful to us this past year. Even when uh, we've leaned on our own understanding, even when we've put our trust or given in to the power of the flesh, even sometimes when our commitments have been shallow, you have been faithful to love us and to send your spirit to draw us back. Oh, may we be careful to heed what the Spirit is saying to the church, even now, in Christ's name. Amen.